You can wrap up a hot dish before Shabbos and hide from behemoth. As hide from a behemoth, do not radiate heat. And you can move the hides of a behemoth on Shabbos. As the hides of a behemoth are not muksa, even if you do not use them to wrap up your pot. Now the Mishnah is talking about the hide of a behemoth, goth of a large animal. Such a hide would not be muksa since it has a usage that is permitted on Shabbos. You can put them on the ground and use them to sit on them. However, hides from a behemoth, daka from a small animal, would be muksa on Shabbos since they have no usage that is permitted on Shabbos. You can wrap up a hot pot before Shabbos in strips of wool, and strips of wool do not radiate heat. However, strips of wool are muks on Shabbos, they cannot be moved. Since they are used for spinning and weaving, and these are things that are also on Shabbos, so therefore they are muksa. And even though you wrapped up your pot in them, they would remain muksa, unless you set them aside strictly for the usage of wrapping up your pot. In such a case, it would not be muksa. So somebody who wrapped up his pot before Shabbos in strips of wool, what should he do? How can he get to the contents of his pot since the strips of wool are muksa? He can grab the cover from underneath the strips of wool and pull off the cover from the pot and then the strips of wool will fall off the cover. And he's not allowed to move the strips of wool itself. However, he can move the cover and then the strips of wool will fall off the cover. Now, even though the cover is supporting the strips of wool, which is muksa, the cover itself would not be muksa. Even though normally we say that something that is a busted for a muksa, something that supports a muksa, would also be muksa. But in this case, the cover is not considered a busted for the muksa. Since the cover is not servicing the muksa, instead the opposite is true. The strips of wool, which is muksa, is being used to service the cover, since the strips of wool is being used to cover the top. Rabbi said, you should lean over the box that contains the pot that is surrounded by the strips of wool. And then you should take out the contents of the pot. But you should not remove the pot from the strips of wool that surround it. As maybe after you remove the pot from the strips of wool, the strips of wool will fall into the place where the pot was originally. And then you no longer will be allowed to put the pot back into the strips of wool. And you would have to move the strips of wool in order to get it around the pot again. And the strips of wool are muksa. So therefore, I believe in the Darya Hall that after you take off the cover of the pot and the strips of wool that are on top of the pot fall off. And now you have a pot that's uncovered but it's surrounded by strips of wool. You should not take out the pot from the strips of wool and maybe after you take out the pot, the strips of wool will fall in, and then you won't be able to put the pot back into the strips of wool. So instead, you should just lean it over and keep the strips of wool around the pot, take out the contents of the pot, and leave the pot where it is. The Chacham argues our blessed and desire. They hold, you can go ahead and take out the pot from the strips of wool, and then if the strips of wool do not fall in, then you can put the pot back into the strips of wool. And the Chacham were not afraid that maybe if after you take out the pot, the strips of wool will fall in, and then you won't be able to put the pot back into the strips of wool. The Chacham weren't afraid of such a scenario, even though they admit that if the strips of wool do fall in, since the strips of wool are muksa, you cannot put the pot back into the strips of wool. Even so, the Chacham said, go ahead and take out the pot from the strips of wool, and then if the strips of wool do not fall in, you can go ahead and put the pot with the remaining contents back into the strips of wool. Somebody who failed 
to wrap up his pot before Shabbat. He no longer can wrap up the pot after it gets dark on Shabbat itself. As we have mentioned previously, you're not allowed to wrap up the pot on Shabbat even in material that does not radiate heat. So therefore, if he fails to wrap up his pot before Shabbat, he cannot wrap it on Shabbat, even on something that does not radiate heat. If somebody did wrap up his pot in something that does not radiate heat before Shabbat, and it got unwrapped on Shabbat, or even if he himself went ahead and unwrapped it on Shabbat, He's allowed to rewrap the pot even on Shabbos. And that which you're not allowed to wrap up a pot on Shabbos, that's only a pot that had not been wrapped before Shabbos. But a pot that had been wrapped before Shabbos, and on Shabbos it became unwrapped, you're allowed to go ahead and rewrap the pot even on Shabbos. You're allowed to fill up a jar with cold water and put it underneath a pillow or underneath a blanket on Shabbos so that the water will stay cool and won't get heated up from the sun. As even though you're not allowed to wrap up a pot on Shabbat, even on something that does not radiate heat, that's only if you have a warm dish that you want it to stay warm, and that's why you're wrapping it. But a jar that's filled with cold water, that you're wrapping it so that it will stay cool, that would be most of the wrap on Shabbat. With what can your animal go out with into the Rosh on Shabbat? With what can't your animal go out with into the Rosh on Shabbat? As a person is obligated to ensure that his animal does not do a malacha daraisa on Shabbat. So the mission asks, what can your animal go out with into the Rosh As your animal cannot carry a load into the Rosh and this will be the malacha of Hotzah. But if your animal is carrying something that is a smear for the animal that helps you guard the animal, in such a case it would be allowed to go out with it into the Rosh Hashanah because that would not be considered carrying a load and just like a person can wear his clothing on top it's not considered carrying so too anything that's on the animal that helps guard the animal is not considered carrying on top so the mission asks what would be considered something that is helping you guard the animal and your animal is allowed to go out with it into the Rosh Hashanah on Shabbat a camel can be taken out into the Rosh Hashanah with an absorb an opto is a rope that's tied to the mouth of the animal to help you guard the camel. The naka of the And a naka, which is a dromedary, a type of female camel which is very fast and needs a better restraint than an opsor, so you can take it out into the shizrabim with a chotem, which is a nose ring. But lubdikim bitpurumbia. And a lubdikim, to the powerful donkey that comes from Libya, can be taken out with a purumbia. Purumbia is a bit. And included in purumbia is also the harness that's put over the head of the donkey. This sus, this shear, and a horse can be taken out into the Rosh with a shear to the metal ring that is put around its neck and you attach to that metal ring a rope and then help you guard the horse. And any other type of animal that is normally taken out with a shear can be taken out and shopped into the Rosh with a shear, such as a hunting dog. A hunting dog is usually taken out with a shear, so therefore you can take it out also on Shabbat with a shear. And so too you can lead it on Shabbat with a shear. You can lead the animal on Shabbat by pulling on the rope that's attached to the ring around its neck. An animal that has a shear around its neck and that shear became coming from a mace that the animal with the shear around its neck was underneath the same roof as the mace. So therefore the shear became tummy. You can sprinkle onto the shear from the mechas while still around the neck of the animal. As something that became coming from a mate, 
the only way to be mitarhit is to sprinkle on it from the ashes of the paraduma and this ring around the animal's neck, if it became tummy, you can sprinkle on it while it's still around the neck of the animal. And you don't have to be concerned that maybe the water from the ashes of the paraduma will miss the shear and hit the animal instead and the hazal will be possible. That's Allah. If you sprinkle onto an animal, that hazal is possible. You don't have to be concerned for that, so therefore you can sprinkle onto the shear while it's still on the neck of the animal. And so too, if the ring became tummy from a different type of tumor that does not require sprinkling from the mechatis, instead it requires immersion. In a mikvah, you could immerse the shear while still around the animal's neck by simply immersing the entire animal together with the shear, and you don't have to be concerned that the animal is a hatita, meaning that maybe the ring is so tight around the animal's neck that the water will not get around the entire ring, and you don't have to be concerned for that they don't put the shear that tight around the animal's neck, so therefore the water will get to the entire shear. Now the proportion of how is the shear makabal tumah at all? As we have Allah, that a utensil that's used for an animal is not makabal tumah, cannot become tumah at all. The answer is that the shear is not considered a cleave that is used by an animal. Instead, it's considered a cleave that's used by a person. As the shear is not for the usage of the animal, it's for the usage of the person who owns the animal so that he can guard the animal. So therefore, since the shear is considered a cleave that's used by a person, it would be makabal tumah either from a maze or from any other tumor.